What is up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com, which is always popping during the offseason. With that being said, let's get to the content. What is up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast. And I gotta say, a little bittersweet, honestly. Not because of matchups or anything, but because this is the last time that I will be, this season, releasing a recap episode. Because obviously there's no reason to recap the fantasy performances of everyone in finals week in terms of looking to the next week. Because that's it. That's it. We're almost there. And, uh... You know, it's awesome because I'm super excited to get into all the off-season stuff, so please stay with me. Trust me, I'm going to be pumping out a lot of really good content, some creative stuff coming, and uh, we're just, I mean, we ain't stopping. We're still two days a week. It's going to keep on that grind, but yeah, it's just, it's crazy, guys. It's crazy. This is the last week, finals week. If you made it into the finals, congratulations. I know I'm alive in quite a good amount of my league still. And it's going to be an interesting week for sure. I've got, man, I've got so many players going in so many places. It's going to be super exciting last week. Plus, the Bucks looks like they're pretty much locked in for the playoffs. So, like, I can finally take a deep exhale off of that. It's not official yet, but I mean, it's like a 95% chance. So, basically, it's official. And, um, yeah, with that said, guys, I mean, let's just get right into it. Uh, one more time, I'll say I hope you guys had a good week, and if you're still alive, I wish you guys luck this week. Now let's get into this week's results and everything that happened. Let's talk about waivers. There is one thing I'm focusing on for the waivers this week, and that is opponent blocking. So unless you're struggling, right? If you are grabbing somebody off waivers to start that you need to start for next week, fine. But if you're just looking at somebody to pull off the waivers and you know it's not a dynasty league or whatever, it's just a regular league and the season's over after this week, there's no looking ahead for you know future schedules or looking ahead or grabbing depth in case somebody gets injured. If somebody gets injured and they're in your starting lineup, it's, it's over. There's no substitutions. There's nothing. So whatever your starting lineup is, those are the only people that need to be on your team. Now, opponent blocking. What do I mean? Look at your opponent the person that you're playing in the finals like who they're playing if right now because obviously waivers have not run if they have a defense whatever defense they just used last week if they don't have a good matchup they're gonna be looking for a defense what do you need to be doing you need to be dropping your bench receivers your bench running backs as long as those people won't become starters for them you know for example let's say they're loaded at running back they've got three four really good running backs and you've got Wayne Gallman on your bench. You're not starting him. You could drop Wayne Gallman to pick up the defense to block them. All right, because they're not going to pick up Wayne Gallman and put him in their starting lineup. And if they do, good luck because they're playing the Ravens. But you get the example. You get where I'm going with this, right? So you want to opponent block. If your opponent just had somebody go down, if they have, you know, Michael Thomas and they didn't have much receiver depth and there's a hot receiver on the waiver, that's who you need to get so you can opponent block. So it works for any position. Just opponent block. Make sure... You get anyone that your opponent might benefit from. Those are the people you want to spend the rest of your money on. And if you're not in a league with money, then use your waiver priority if you can. 
Now, with that said, that that really wraps up the waivers. I mean, there's not much to talk about. I am going to plug my beanies, black hats, everything real quick. I got more shipments on the way. I'm going to have a bunch of different colors of beanies coming in. Thank you guys for your responses and, you know, your interest in the merch. It's, you know, super motivating for me. So, you know, thank you for that. And with that said, let's get into what we learned. Starting off all the way back to the Thursday game. Raiders Chargers, first off, guys, it took 68 minutes and 28 seconds to hit the over-under, to hit the overside of the over-under. And honestly, like I told you, it was a hedge bet, and that was the beauty of the hedge. Why? Because I had Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs going in this game, and they had really good days because it hit the over. So I was still happy, even though I got that bet wrong. Marcus Mariota, he looks pretty good. And not only that, but he may help Josh Jacobs. Why? Why might he help Josh Jacobs? Well, Marcus Marietta is not somebody who likes to heave the ball downfield. And despite all the criticism that people always give Derek Carr for in terms of his deep ball and lack of willingness to throw downfield, that's not really the case. And we haven't seen that as a problem this season at all. He's been throwing deep balls to Ruggs and Nelson Aguilar, some deep ones to Darren Waller. So that hasn't been a problem. Marcus Mariota, however, he is somebody that's very, very unlikely to throw a deep ball. So he might help Josh Jacobs because there's a higher likelihood that he checks down. And also, what's the X factor? The legs. When you have a quarterback that can run, it automatically opens up running lanes for the running back. So as long as Marcus Mariota is not taking 18 carries a game, then he's not going to be hurting Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs will still get the same volume, maybe a little bit more in the receiving game. And now it's easier for him to run. So he might help Josh Jacobs in this way. Now, Darren Waller proves that he is one of the best tight ends in the league, sheer dominant in this game. He has immense skill despite whoever is, no matter who is throwing him the ball. So if you play the long game in Dynasty, what do I mean by this? If you're not just, when you're playing Dynasty in that two, three-year window, if you're the guy who's, you know, I want to build my team for a five-year, a six-year, Darren Waller should be your tight end too behind Kittle. Some people are saying, you know, Kittle's injury history is super concerning, and that should actually make Darren Waller the tight end one. I've seen it in a couple places. I understand the argument. I am not going that far. I still like Kittle as the tight end one in Dynasty because despite his injuries, he is way younger, way younger than Darren Waller. We have to remember Darren Waller came to the league a long time ago, then fell out of the league, was irrelevant, then came back into the league after rehabbing and you know, with his addictions and all that stuff, which amazing, by the way, we love to see turnarounds like that in the NFL. It's a great story. And it's super awesome that he's being so successful now. But he's a lot older than Kittle. And so I'm not going to just be like, oh, Kittle gets hurt a lot. Now I'm not going to touch Kittle. Uh, And I'm going to put Waller above him. I wouldn't go that far. So I like Waller as the tight end too if you play the long game. Look, if you're only playing in a two, three-year window, I would still take Kelsey above Waller. But, I mean, the gap is not so big to the point where I would fault you for even taking Waller if you had the mindset of a two, three-year window. So I like Waller a lot, guys. He is a beast. And he is in this conversation of the future tight ends. It's going to be Kittle. Because obviously we had Olsen fall out a, a few years ago. Jimmy Graham fall out a few years ago. Gronk fall out a few years ago. Kelsey's the only one who hasn't fallen out yet. He will soon. And it will be Kittle. Um, Kyle Pitts coming in. Darren Waller. TJ Hawkinson. As like this new era of the tight ends for fantasy. So, and there's... Obviously, people I'm not mentioning, Dallas Goddard, there's, you know, oh, Ertz is another one who's fallen, who has fallen out uh, and is, you know, 
now in that Gronk category and whatnot. But anyways, yeah, he's part of that new age tight end. So I love Waller. Herbert performed with basically one of his three targets on the field. Keenan Allen was hurt the entire time. Mike Williams wasn't really getting targeted. He's probably still banged up. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams only combined for five targets. So Justin Herbert doing as good as he did, especially for fantasy purposes, without those guys in the field, super promising. One thing that wasn't promising at all, Kalen Balage was in on goal line situations over Austin Eckler. That is concerning. Now, I will say Austin Eckler only got four targets, which is half of his average. So it may be possible that he was just on a snap count and it's not like all of a sudden Balage, because he's a bigger, a bigger guy, all of a sudden Balage is going to be their you know, goal line back now. That could definitely not be the case. It could just be that that happened to be the time they pulled out Eckler because he was on a snap count because he also was not using the receiving game despite Keenan Allen and Mike Williams only having five targets. He was not using the receiving game much. So I think that points to a snap count. I'm not too concerned, but the concern is minimal there. Now let's move over to the Bills Broncos. Josh Allen has made so many strides. He is what every single project quarterback best case scenario is when you draft a project quarterback your best case scenario is to get a guy like Josh Allen Stefan Diggs is honestly remarkable the fantasy season that he has put up is the one that nobody could have predicted you looked at the bills last year the bills were 50 50 pass run just about I believe it was like 52 48 uh, in favor of the run or something like that there but let's just say 50 50 now they're 60 40 right we would not have expected that a big reason is because of Stephon Diggs. When they just added that weapon, all of us in there like, man, we could just sling it. And Josh Allen has also improved. We could just sling it. And I, I would say part of the reason is also because their defense is nowhere near as good as it was last year. But Diggs leading the league in receptions. Uh, I'm not sure if he leads the league in targets, but he's over 100 receptions already with two games left in the season. I mean, this is something that nobody could have predicted. Nobody saw coming. And it's just awesome. It's awesome to see. Zach Moss was the red zone guy, and he got more touches than Devin Singletary. Singletary's garbage time, 51-yard touchdown, probably killed a few of you guys' fantasy hopes, or maybe saved it. But hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, you don't start Bill's running backs. Um, And I know we all deal with injuries, so I'm sure a couple of you do. That's fine. But I'm just speaking in general, obviously. Um, But yeah, we don't like those Bill's running backs. Drew Locke was locked. You get it? Drew Locke was locked onto Noah Fant the entire game. He did not throw to any receivers, I don't think, one target in the first half. And by the time the game was over, there was barely any targets to any of the receivers. It was super weird, but Noah Fant came through for a lot of people. Melvin Gordon had some goal line touchdowns. One was in garbage time. So not only did Singletary hurt a lot of people's fantasy dreams to get to the finals with a a 12-point play, a 51-yard touchdown, or an 11-point play, but Melvin also had a garbage-time touchdown as well. Now we got the Panthers-Packers. This is the second Saturday game. Obviously, the Bills-Broncos was the first. DJ Moore was playing, um, which is not what I said on the podcast that released on Thursday. I recorded it early, and I was under the impression that DJ Moore was not playing, but he did play. And so, obviously, that's why you guys want to keep up on news like that if you have dj moore i'm sure you are obviously keeping up on that news you get alerts and whatnot so it's not a big deal but dj moore did play he was great six receptions for 131 yards and because 
because Jair Alexander was still on Robbie Anderson more often than not. And because of it, Robbie Anderson struggled. Five targets, two receptions, 21 yards. Mike Davis had a bad day in a glorious matchup. He did have a touchdown poached by Teddy, who fumbled at the goal line, like he was about a foot away from punching it in and like jumping over the offensive line, punching it in across the line, and he fumbled it. So that really hurt Mike Davis. Mike Davis could have had a much better day if they just handed it to him there. And then Teddy Bridgewater also ran in one later in the game from, I don't know, I think it was like six, eight yards out. That also could have ended up being a run to Mike Davis. So it was just unlucky, but nevertheless, he, he had a bad day. But the guy who really hurt people, the guy who really disappeared when we needed him most, Devontae Adams, seven receptions for 42 yards. Rodgers, after the game, during the interview, said that the Panthers prioritized him. Obviously, talking about Devontae Adams, the Panthers prioritized Devontae Adams, and he never had single coverage. So it's just, I mean, it's unfortunate timing for the fantasy playoffs, but Rodgers is a smart guy, and look, he's he sees double coverage on Devontae Adams the whole game. He's not going to just force-feed Devontae Adams. That's how it should be as a quarterback. Yeah, it hurts our fantasy teams, but he's doing the right thing. He's doing what he should be doing. Robert Tanyan pulled through for a tight end because of the touchdown, but he only had three targets. Aaron Jones was very good, and that wraps up that game. And now we get to my game, my team, Bucks falcons And first I want to start off, is it weird that I wasn't worried down 17-0 as a Bucks fan at halftime I mean like I'm not even joking like I was watching the game and I just was very calm while I was watching us lose so badly in the first half and it was the combination of two things first being that the Falcons always blow it and I was like there's I mean the Falcons are gonna blow this somehow so I you know I believe I believe we're gonna come out the second half and just destroy them and also because the Buccaneers have been a second-half team pretty much the entire season. In fact, I would say that the second-half Buccaneers are, if you just look at the Buccaneers in the second half of every game through the season, the second-half Buccaneers are the best team in the NFL. They just have to extend it over a whole game. That is not me saying that as a Bucks fan. That is me saying that, saying that as an objective football watcher. And I really believe that. Now, obviously... It's hard to play that elite over the course of a whole game, but if they can just extend it or bring part of it to the first half, these Bucks are going to surprise a lot of people in the playoffs. And I don't even know if people would be surprised because we have the weapons, but they they can make a run. They, they could either go out early if they start really bad in the first half, or if they can put it all together, find some momentum these last two games, get everyone hot right at the right time, and go into the playoffs with a hot defense and a rolling offense, we might be able to make a deep run. So I wouldn't be surprised either way if we lost right away or if we got really far. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown all put up numbers with Tom Brady. All of them had 13 or more fantasy points, and Brady had 23.4. It is clear how much the Bucks missed Ronald Jones, especially in the first half. Calvin Ridley turns in an amazing day with no Julio. And Matt Ryan, in fact, had his best seasonal game without Julio Jones on the field versus the Bucks. Super weird. Matt Ryan has been horrible without Julio Jones. And, like, horrible, horrible. His highest scoring week without Julio Jones. Oh, man, I had the note in front of me. I just threw it away earlier this morning. Um, it was, like, 15 points or 16 points. So, you know, putting up 20-plus versus the Bucks, that was super weird, to, to say the least. But... 
you know the Bucks still won. I'm happy. And Russell Gage turned in a great day as well, 17.8 points. And this game was just an amazing game for fantasy players. I mean, if you had anyone playing in this game except for Todd Gurley, you're happy. So you should be happy. Everyone was was really good. And even Leonard Fournette was good. He had two, honestly, BS, <laughs> two BS touchdowns. Uh, he didn't have a great game. He definitely had some nice plays. I, I was happy to see it from Leonard Fournette. Obviously, I want everyone on my team to be good. But Mike Evans had a super long catch that should have went into the end zone. He got tackled at the one and reached the ball out too late. And uh, that was one of Leonard Fournette's touchdowns. And another one was like a pass interference in the end zone. So Leonard Fournette got it. So he was getting lucky because if you look at his yardage, his efficiency, it wasn't it wasn't good. So I'm not super confident starting Leonard Fournette next week if Ronald Jones is out. Um, I mean, if you might need him. You might need to. I would say he's probably in the RB... 18 to 24 range but when you're in the finals I mean if you're still alive you're in the finals right so if you're in the finals I'm obviously looking for somebody of a higher caliber because whoever you're playing against is also in the finals which means they also like you have a really good team so you know you could roll them out if you need to but I wouldn't be super confident in it then we have um one super interesting thing that I found I haven't seen anyone talk about it at all so if it happens you guys, credit credit me here at Deep Dive because I found this stat with the help of my friend. Um, I had the idea. I just couldn't find out the end part of it. So if you're an IDP guy or if you're just a, a guy that likes defense or whatever, um, if not, you're going to hear me say this anyways. Devin White is on the verge of doing something historic. Okay, After he had three sacks in this second half versus Matt Ryan, he's on pace. For He has 130 tackles right now. He's on pace for more than 140 easily. Almost 150. He's on pace for 148. Okay, I went and looked at how many linebackers. Devin White has eight sacks right now. How many linebackers have finished a season with 140 tackles or more? That would only need to be five per game for Devin White for the last two games. Super easy. Definitely going to happen as long as he doesn't get hurt. So I looked how many linebackers have had 140 tackles. And eight sacks or better in a season. Only one linebacker in the history of the NFL has done that since tackles have been recorded in like 1986 or 1992. It was one of those two um, since like, since tackles have been recorded officially. And that player was also a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. And it was Broderick Thomas. He had 170 tackles and 11 sacks in one season. But nobody since that season from him has done it. And Devin White is about to do it. So that's sick. That shows how versatile he is. And um, yeah, just, just look out for this guy because he's going to be one of the best linebackers in the league for a really long time. And he's great for IDP because he's getting mad tackles and he's getting sacks on top of it. Tackles for a loss. He gets some passes defense. Not a crazy amount, but he gets some. He's a, he's a sick Sick linebacker. Had to plug my boy Devin White here. Before we move on to the 49ers Cowboys. Now, Nick Mullins. Three turnovers versus the Dallas defense. That was super unexpected and made it impossible for the for the 49ers to win. Especially because the Cowboys didn't turn over the ball once the entire game. Jeff Wilson outtouched Raheem Mostert. But it was a pretty even split. About 55-45 in Wilson's favor. Wilson did get the touchdown. So he is the one who had the decent day. But the 49er that was really clutch for the playoffs, Brandon Ayuk and Brandon Gabor for telling you he was a must-start. 
No, just kidding. Anyone could have called that. He's been on a roll. He's been putting up 20 points the last four games that he's played and on average, and he had 22 points in this game. 13 targets, 9 receptions, 73 yards, and a touchdown. That extends... Oh, here we go. That extends his streak to six games. Sorry, not five. Uh, four. It was five. Now six. Extends his streak to six games with an average of 20 points or more. That is insane. Tony Pollard goes off in place of Zeke. And remember earlier how I was talking about, uh, you know, you want to only plug in running backs when the starter is out if they're guaranteed the workload and they're talented. And my examples were Latavius Murray and Tony Pollard. Well, here we go. Tony Pollard did exactly that. He was the slam must-start backup with Zeke out to injury. Why? Because touches and talent. Also, he is a better receiver than Zeke. He did get nine targets, so it's interesting when you just have Zeke dominate a game or Pollard dominate a game in fantasy because Pollard does get the reception, so he's just as good as Zeke, even if he's not as good a runner. And some people are arguing he's better. I wouldn't go that far. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens because Zeke is signed until 2027 for the Dallas Cowboys. And Pollard's looked really good. And we know the Cowboys don't have much money. So it'll be an interesting thing to monitor over these next couple years. CD Lamb definitely won and lost some people their semi matchups because he had a pointless onside return for a touchdown. And, you know, if you're looking at his game log and you're confused how he has so many points, that's because he has a return touchdown that's not going to show in his receiving or rushing column uh that's where he got his points from and it was just i was feeling for people that were playing against cd lamb for sure and if you played cd lamb you got super lucky super lucky dallas wide receivers all of them because remember if you're taking out this onside return touchdown for cd lamb then and you look at his stat line then then all the dallas wide receivers were frustrating you never know which one to play. Amari sucked. He only had 2.3 points, and he was the one who's been consistent recently. So if you're still alive and in the finals, I would be super weary with the Dallas wide receivers. Now let's talk about Bears-Vikings. David Montgomery. David Montgomery. David Montgomery. Let's go. David Montgomery. Best league winner. Best buy of the season. 29.2 points. Stole the show. And all going all the way back to October, when I told you guys to buy David Montgomery, got to do the victory lap now. It is official. Of official. And guess what? He has an amazing matchup. Amazing matchup this next week. So f- expect another top five performance. And I hope you guys hear my excitement because I'm about to flip the switch to the exact opposite side, which I hate, but you guys are making me do it. A lot of people... So, obviously, I love David Montgomery, and I called them as a buy, and you guys know I like him. But a lot of people are all of a sudden super overreacting. I've heard it on podcasts. I've seen it on Twitter, and I've seen articles. People are saying David Montgomery might be a top 12 running back in Dynasty. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Y'all know I like him, but there's a lot of things that make that statement crazy to me. Tariq Cohen is returning. He will take at least half of the receiving work that David Montgomery has been getting. His floor will get worse than it has been this season. Plus, this entire time that David Montgomery has been going off, he's had one of the easiest schedules in the NFL for the running back position in fantasy football. That was part of the reason I called him as a buy. So, he hasn't played any tough defenses, right? And he has not performed versus, has not been good for fantasy at least, versus tough defenses. Plus, that quarterback situation is in question, so 
You have no idea how good the offense is going to be next year. You have no idea where they're going to be at. Plus, think about the type of running back David Montgomery is. He is the type that just pounds the rock. You hand it to him. He's not much of a receiver, right? Well, the Bears have an elite defense. That's part of the reason that despite not having a great offense, David Montgomery is able to get a lot of carries. Is because one, they've been playing bad teams. And two, their defense is good enough to keep the game close enough for the Bears to have the ability to give the ball to David Montgomery that much. If their defense and defenses, they change quick. They can go from elite to average in one season. If that defense falls off at all, there's a much worse, a much harder um, track for David Montgomery to get the touches he needs that he's been getting recently, right? So we have the quarterback situation, Tariq returning the fact that they just played a super easy schedule and the fact that if the defense gets worse it's going to be harder to give the ball to David Montgomery and last but not least there are so many good young running backs in the league right now I mean it's like to say David Montgomery's top 12 is super super reactionary and I don't think that's the case at all I would I actually did an exercise because I was talking to somebody about this and he came out to bet- between my running back 17 and 20. And the people that changed that range for him, I had Zeke in that range. This is Dynasty, remember? I had Zeke in that range. I had James Robinson in that range and Ronald Jones in that range. So if you would take any of those three people above David Montgomery, then knock him down from 17. If you would take him over all three of those people, then put him at 17. But that is the highest that I would put him as of right now in Dynasty. And from all the other Bears in this game, it was pretty much, you know, a meh game, not not anything crazy. Dalvin Cook continues to be great versus tough defenses. Adam Thielen gets the touchdowns, but Jefferson is the wide receiver one. The clear wide receiver one. 11 targets, 8 receptions, 104 yards. And this is the stat lines on the season. On the season so far, Justin Jefferson has 103 targets to Adam Thielen's 94. Justin Jefferson has 73 receptions to Adam Thielen's 62. And here's the crazy one. Justin Jefferson has 1,182 receiving yards to Adam Thielen's 771. That is a massive gap. The only thing that's keeping Thielen right neck and neck with Jefferson in fantasy is the touchdowns. Jefferson has seven, Thielen has 13. All right, so Jefferson is the wide receiver one there. Kirk Cousins was good as well with with 20 points versus what seemed like it would be a daunting defense, but He was just fine against them. And that brings us to the Jaguars-Ravens. Remember when I said Minshew might be Robinson's saving grace for those playing him in the playoffs? Well, that turned out to be just the case. Minshew threw a beautiful ball to James Robinson for a touchdown. If James Robinson did not have that pass from Gardner Minshew that was right over the shoulder on the sideline, placed perfectly, if he did not have that one play, he would have finished the day with six fantasy points. And now they're going to play another tough defense. And I am not confident at all in um, Minshew, or not Minshew, in Robinson to be, you know, a top 12 running back. You might have to start him. You might have to start him because of volume, but it's going to be risky. And if you have other places to pivot, I would. Now, the ball was spread crazy evenly in terms of the receivers for the Jaguars. Chark, um, Visca, Colin Johnson, James Robinson, all of them, you know, it was just spread out pretty evenly. But here's the crazy thing 
All these guys are catching balls next year from Trevor Lawrence. And what does that mean? DJ Chark, value spikes. LaVisca Chenault, his value sees a huge spike. James Robinson, his value sees a huge spike. And Colin Johnson, there is hope. There is hope for Colin Johnson if you're holding on to him in Dynasty Leagues. The Ravens dominated this game the entire time. Marquise Brown had seven targets off of 22 passes. It's a really high target share, much better than what he's been getting all season, almost 100 yards. But honestly, I could care less. I don't trust Marquise Brown. You shouldn't either. Mark Andrews has a good day with a touchdown as well. Um, He's always going to have the possibility at a touchdown, so you probably have to start him if you have him. J.K. Dobbins was good with Ingram as a healthy scratch. His volume is still severely capped, though. Lamar Jackson still runs the ball. Gus Edwards still gets lots of carries. Dobbins is never going to be a 20-plus touch guy, and if he is, he's like barely hitting it and not very often. So it's going to be tough for Dobbins to be you know, a top 10, top 12 dynasty running back. Because I don't even have, I have David Montgomery over Dobbins, and David Montgomery, like you, like we just talked about, is in my 17 to 20 range. So Dobbins is still outside of that in dynasty. But he is a decent option as a flex versus the Giants next week. Now, um, we're going to take a quick break, but I just wanted to say that you guys hear me a lot during these game recaps already going to next week and talking about next week. Why? Because usually when we're talking about these game recaps, we're talking about the outlook for the rest of the season. Well, the rest of the season is only one more game. So really, it only matters who they're playing against, right? So not like the only thing that matters, obviously volume, all that stuff. But in terms of, you know, there's no extra season after next week. That's the only thing we have to look forward to. So that's why I'm sprinkling a lot of that in right now. With that said, we'll be right back. What's up, divers? Do you enjoy a good workout like me? Are you trying to get built? If so, you need a good source of protein after to get maximum gains. Luckily, your boy, talking about myself, just got sponsored by Built Bar. So you can get some awesome protein bars at 10% off with my code DEEPDIVE. Just check out BuiltBar.com where they have so many sick options. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, take a second to pause the podcast right here. That's right, you heard me, right here. And drop me a rating or review, and if you are feeling super generous, you can choose to support the podcast monthly through the link on the episode page or found in the website podcast section. With that being said, as you know, let's get back to the content. Alright guys, welcome back. We're starting right away. Lions versus Titans. DeAndre Swift dominated the touches for the Lions running backs. And next week he has a tough matchup for the Bucks. If Stafford sits... And I think they should sit him. They are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. But it doesn't seem like Stafford's the type of guy that is okay with sitting. You know, he released a statement saying, if I'm healthy, I'm going to go out there and fight for my teammates who put in so much work to go out there and win games and everything. So, Which is a great mentality. That's what you like to see in your franchise quarterback. But, I mean, there's no reason for him to be out there risking his health right now with how banged up he has been this whole season. But um, he's probably going to be out there. But if not... Then DeAndre Swift is somebody I would be very scared to play versus the Bucks. It's a tough matchup. We saw, you know, how the Falcons didn't even attempt to run the ball versus the Bucks. So just be be weary with DeAndre Swift. TJ Hawkinson, he had his first bad game in forever. He has been the model of consistency so far this season among the tight end position. Um, outside of obviously Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, he has been the dude after them. And uh, he had his first bad game, so that was kind of weird. Marvin Jones, however, shined in a golden matchup spot. Super, super good matchup versus the Titans here. And he went off 12 targets, 10 receptions, 112 
yards and a touchdown. And we've been talking about Marvin Jones for a while on this podcast now. You guys know that he has been completely slept on. He's been a top 12 receiver for like the past eight to like, yeah, six to eight weeks. And nobody really has realized it. When Kenny Galladay's been out, he's just been amazing. The the tenaciously efficient Titans, Titans, that's really hard to say. That's what I'm going to start calling them now. The tenaciously efficient Titans. They are ridiculous. Ridiculous. Tannehill, five touchdowns, two rushing. That contract, looking back on it, for Tennessee, when everyone was putting their two cents in on whether that was a good decision or not, definitely a huge dub for the Titans. It was not expensive, plus Tannehill clearly is a very good quarterback and very efficient quarterback. So makes you think how bad the situation was in Miami and how bad Adam Gase was for Tannehill to have been in the league that long and not looked as good as he has in this year and a half with the Titans. Derrick Henry's insane. What's new? A.J. Brown was decent. Corey Davis had a huge 75-yard touchdown. Aside from that, he was pretty quiet. But he's going to get some money in free agency this season. And what does that mean? If he's getting paid, he's getting targets. And if he's getting targets, he's producing for fantasy. So Corey Davis, if you bought him for a late second rounder or a third rounder at any point during this season, or if you've had him and you've held him, good job, because I don't think he will be a Titan because they probably won't pay him. And he'll probably go somewhere that gives him a great opportunity to be good. I'm looking at the Packers. Devontae Adams, Corey Davis, that would be pretty nice. Patriots Dolphins guess who had a rough game passing a rookie versus Bill Belichick as we talk about all the time here Tua was saved though in fantasy with two rushing touchdowns but because he had such a tough day passing there was not much to look at in the receiving game for Miami other than Lynn Bowden's seven targets that's pretty promising Salvin Ahmed went nuts he may have carved out a role when Miles Gaskin returns that's something to keep an eye on He was 23 carries for 122 yards and great efficiency and a touchdown. Miami may pass on running back again this offseason, whether we're talking free agency or the draft, and I wouldn't blame them. They have a pretty decent one-two punch with these Huskies running backs. Remember, Ahmed and Gaskin went to the same college, and, uh, you know, that's a nice little, little duo they got there moving forward. Jacoby Myers makes his return for the Patriots. Um, and he's been there the whole time. I just mean his fantasy return with 10 targets, 7 receptions, and 111 yards. But every other Patriot was garbage. You cannot afford to start any of them in the finals. We've been talking about this. Stay away from your Patriots. Seahawks versus the Washington football team. This D-line was very troubling for the Seahawks, as most of us expected. All of Seattle, in terms of fantasy, turned in a bad day. And the Washington garbage time touchdowns really hurt me so I didn't cover my Seattle minus 5.5 even though they were dominating the game it was just a backdoor cover by Washington Seattle may be somewhat concerning versus the Rams especially because the Rams are going to be pissed after this Jets loss so Tyler Lockett ah man you probably don't want to play him DK Metcalf you probably have to play him but just don't have huge expectations. Russell Wilson, if you can sit Russell Wilson, I would sit Russell Wilson. And Chris Carson, if you can sit Chris Carson, I would sit Chris Carson. So it's going to be a rough rough day for Seattle and any of their players in fantasy. But, you know, if you have to play them, hopefully they come through. Why did the Rams lose? This is important. 
because this is part of the reason I think Seattle's going to have such a tough time. Why did the Rams lose versus the Jets? Probably because they look at the Jets, who have not won a game this season and could not possibly be dumb enough to win a game this season, right? I mean, that's what everyone thought. But apparently, they just keep surprising us. But the Rams are looking at the Jets and they're like, the Jets are trying to lose. They should be trying to lose. They also suck. There's no way we lose to this team. They've probably been prepping for Seattle because they have been neck and neck with Seattle in terms of that division lead for the playoffs to have home field advantage this entire season. So they've probably been prepping for the Seattle game since this week started. And that's probably why they overlooked the Jets and lost. So they're going to be prepped and ready to go versus Seattle. That's a huge thing that I'm scared about. Logan Thomas in this game for Washington, 15 targets, 13 receptions, 101 yards. Great elite tight end performance for fantasy purposes. Terry McLaurin, 12 targets, 7 receptions, 77 yards. Haskins helps both, but 55 pass attempts was probably the biggest cog in this result. J.D. McKissick also got 23 touches. Dwayne Haskins started checking down more than the past. Most of it was in the second half to McKissick. And I would be fine starting any of the three big Washington guys versus Carolina next week. That's McKissick, McLaurin, and Logan Thomas. If you want to start any of them versus Carolina, assuming Gibson's out, he should be, then I am 100% in agreement with you. Texans, Colts. Kiki Kuti with Brandon Cooks back on the field has a bounce back game with targets, and he also had a touchdown. David Johnson got 11 targets because why wouldn't that be the case? You know, the Texans running backs, they get double-digit touchdowns or double-digit targets all the time. Joking, obviously. I could see Watson, Kuti, Brandon Cooks, and David Johnson all having a good week next week versus Cincinnati Bengals. So if you want to start any of them, go for it. Jonathan Taylor is firmly the running back in the Colts' room. He's dominating now. But he has Pittsburgh next week. And I, I specifically am nervous because in my, like, the league that I want to win the most in, and it's not even like, you know, the league that I have the most money invested in or anything, but the league I want to win the most in just because of, you know, who's in the league and the the history of the league and all that stuff. I have Jonathan Taylor. He's been carrying me or helping me at least the last three weeks. And I really, I really want to play him, but I think I'm going to have to sit him versus Pittsburgh. We'll see what happens. We'll see which one of my running backs decide to be healthy next week. But, uh, yeah, Jonathan Taylor, that's that's a tough spot for him next next week because he could have a really bad day. So just be careful. T.Y. Hilton was all right. And Pittsburgh hasn't been too tough for wide receivers. So if you want to roll out T.Y. Hilton, that's also fine. Eagles, Cardinals. Firstly, Jalen Hurts. He looked really good. I'm not crowning him anything. All right. It's only been two games, but he looks really good. Specifically, at the end of the game, he was putting balls right on the money. Two in the end zone to tie from 20 yards out between defenders. Both of them dropped. And, I mean, he was just throwing balls on, what is it they say, a frozen rope? I mean, he was just clutch. I mean, that second half from Jalen Hurts was very impressive. Jalen Rager doesn't look like a bust. Jalen Hurts spread the wealth, didn't over-target anyone, but it does seem like he prefers the tight ends. So outside of Goddard and Ertz, I'm not starting any wide receivers. And the tight ends are, you know, always a desperate fantasy position. So if you want to start Ertz or Goddard, that's completely fine. Kyler, Murray, and DeAndre Hopkins got back to being great just in time for your fantasy samurais. Kyler got his rushing touchdown back and put up a huge day. Jalen Hurts is the guy I am most excited about between these two quarterbacks for next week. He is playing Dallas. He is probably a top five quarterback play again. 
Jets Rams. Every fiber, guys, every fiber in my being wants to talk about this disaster for an hour, but I will refrain. I'm going to stick to the fantasy. I really want to just go off on a tangent about the Jets and just the, the joke organization that they are. Um, so I'll just give you a bullet point. I came up with an acronym for the Jets and or it, you know what the letters stand for, right? J-E-T-S, just exemplify top-tier stupidity. That is that organization this season. It's obnoxious. And if you're a Jets fan, I'm sorry. Um, and if you're not a Jets fan and you're having a bad day, go to Twitter. <laughs> go to the Jets account. They posted a, a picture of, you know, like one of the players in the final score in this game when they beat the Rams and they, they put dub. That was it. That They just put a W as the comment on the picture. And if you read the replies, I promise you will not regret it. It is the funniest thing I've seen in the last month. Uh, just go read the replies. I promise it'll be worth it. You will be cracking cracking up for sure um, because the, the fans are losing their minds. All right, but Trevor Lawrence. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go on a tiny tangent here. All right, so Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, right? Those are the quarterbacks after Trevor Lawrence that people are arguing QB2, QB3. All the Jets guys are going to see a dip in dynasty value with whoever the Jets end up taking between Wilson and Fields if the Jags do end up with that number one pick. Right now, they do have it. So unless they win a game, they will be drafting Trevor Lawrence. Um, I think it's one of the safest bets in sports at this point. So Trevor Lawrence is the 99, the super rare, super rare, 99% type bust-proof prospect. Okay, no prospect is ever 100% bust-proof. But Lawrence is as bust-proof as they get. And he would be the 101 in every single draft over the last 10 years. All right, all right. last year, right? The, the rookie quarterbacks this year, they look sick. Justin Herbert looks sick. Joe Burrow looks sick. Tua might be awesome. Jalen Hurts is looking good. Like, great quarterback class. But if Trevor Lawrence was in the class last year, Trevor Lawrence would have went 101, no doubt. The year before that, Trevor Lawrence would have went 101. The year before that, Trevor Lawrence would have went 101. He would have went above Kyler. He would have went above Joe Burrow. He would have went above Mitch Trubisky and Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. He would have went above all these guys. And the Jets just lost out on that. So, I mean, that there's nothing else to say there. But in terms of fantasy, I mean, you can't, you can't play any Jets players, right? You just can't. Like, this was the best game they've had of the season, and there was no fantasy points to be found. Cam Akers, on the other side of the ball, was a massive disappointment. He still got all the work, like all the work. No other running back got more than two touches, so that's good. And you can fire him up for Seattle. And Robert Woods was good. Seems like the better play opposed to Cooper Cup. So if you have to pick one of those receivers, it seems like Woods is the guy. But honestly, who knows? Because it goes back and forth. And the Seattle matchup is worthy of starting both because they have the most points allowed to the fantasy receiver. So if you have Cup or Woods, you should be feeling pretty good just because of the matchup alone next week in the finals. Chiefs Saints, Clyde disappointed to my expectation. He got hurt. Um, he wasn't great before then, but that was, you know, not an indictment on his talent. He was just not great in terms of fantasy. He's obviously a very fine running back. I think without a chance to show out, right? Because remember, let's let's remember Damian Williams when he was like a third round draft pick in fantasy. It was off the back of his playoff performance for the Chiefs. I very much was in the boat that 
Clyde was going to go off in the playoffs, and they were going to fully commit to Clyde over Le'Veon Bell because that's you know what they've been doing in the season in crunch time. In clutch time, they've been going to Clyde instead of Le'Veon Bell. So I, I figured Clyde was going to just take all the work once they got to the playoffs, most of it, look amazing, and be a top-tier running back in drafts and be viewed as such next year. But now with his injury, I don't know if he's going to be back in time. And if not, if he's not back and he doesn't go off in the playoffs and pop off, he might be a sneaky buy in Dynasty because you're looking at the landscape of the rookie running backs. Cam Akers is heating up now. Jonathan Taylor's heating up. Antonio Gibson was heating up before his injury. J.K. Dobbins is heating up. DeAndre Swift is heating up. Everyone remembers what have you done for me lately. Everyone remembers what happened recently, what happened at the end of the season. That's what's going to be in people's minds when this offseason starts. And if you can get Clyde, if he doesn't do anything crazy and doesn't, you know, grab everyone's attention again, if you can get Clyde for pretty much anything, I mean, if you can get him for anything less than a first, or if you can get him for a first, or if you can get him for any of the rookie running backs in the class other than him and maybe Jonathan Taylor, they're really close, I would do it. And if you want to shoot out a DM to me, I will gladly answer, but I think Clyde is going to end up being a sneaky buy this offseason. Travis Kelsey... And Tyreek Hill were fine per usual, as was Mahomes. Pretty much this team is matchup proof. They were great against the Saints, one of the toughest defenses. Breeze on the other side of the ball did not look great. Kamara disappointed in a smash spot. Breeze was back. Michael Thomas was out. And you had a negative game script. And for some reason, Kamara was not getting many targets. I don't know what happened there. Super weird. I mean, that's just how football is sometimes. But, uh, you know, that was that was rough. My... Oh, I almost said Miles Sanders, sorry. Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders didn't do much. Uh, I do like him next week versus the Vikings. The Saints have not been a friendly matchup to receivers. Plus, with Michael Thomas out, Sanders was the only person that, or the Chiefs, I mean, have not been a friendly matchup to receivers. That was the only person they had to worry about in the receiving game other than Kamara. So I didn't expect a good game from Emmanuel Sanders. But versus the Vikings, who have a horrible, horrible secondary, I really like Emmanuel Sanders next week. If you have to slide him out from injuries or whatnot. Lastly, we have one more game because the Steelers-Bengals is tonight. I'm recording this before then, and, you know, I'll just recap that game on the Thursday Start-Sit podcast. Browns-Giants is the last one Sunday night. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, both underwhelm versus a solid Giants run defense, but Baker still looked great. Happy for him. The Browns are in the playoffs, and I cannot wait. DPJ, Donovan Peoples-Jones, baby, 3-for-3, 55 yards. Let's go, my guy. I really hope Elder Beckham leaves. I really hope Odell Beckham leaves because Donovan Peoples-Jones is so much better than anyone realizes. And when he gets his opportunity in the small samples, the small targets he's gotten sprinkled in through the season, he has been very good. And he's going to be a sick wide receiver too for them. Him and Jarvis can be a really nice combo if they just let Odell you know, walk or trade him or whatever the situation is there. With Colt McCoy, you can't start any Giants apparently, especially next week versus Baltimore. And that wraps up the game recaps. Now we can get into hits and whiffs. We're going to start with some hits. David Montgomery has a bye midseason. We talked about it a lot already. Todd Gurley as a sell. The same podcast, the same episode when I was doing buys and sells. Todd Gurley was a sell. 15 points over the last five weeks combined. Combined in the last five weeks. He has 15 points. That is three points per game. He did miss one, so it's really like four points per game, but absolutely atrocious. He has not been good. The only reason he was somewhat good in the beginning of the season was because he kept falling into the end zone. 
And I told you guys, you know, obviously that's not something we can rely on in fantasy. So that's why Gurley was a sell for me, and he's been horrible since then. Tom Brady and all three Bucks receivers. I had a starts versus Atlanta. They all were good. I also had Russell Gage as a start versus the Bucks, and he had about 18 fantasy points, so that was a good call. Brandon Ayuk as a must start versus Dallas. He had 20-plus points. DeAndre Swift as a start. He had a great day. Jalen Hurts as a start versus Arizona. Pretty sure he was the top quarterback on the week. Robbie Anderson as a sit versus Green Bay. Even though DJ Moore did end up playing, they still had Jair on Robbie. And Green Bay has not been a friendly matchup to receivers. So Robbie Anderson, you know, had a tough time and as expected. Now, we also had some betting lines that we hit on. First one that we hit, and it's it's weird because we had a push. We had a push this week. If you don't know what that is, that means, um, you know, if the line is minus three and the game finishes at minus three, everyone gets their money back. It's a push. It, nobody won. So we had a push on one of our five betting lines. So we actually went two and two this week. The Browns was one I got right. I had them to cover minus four versus the Giants. They demolished the Giants. I had the Bills to cover six and a half versus the Broncos. They demolished the Broncos. And then the push was the Chiefs-Saints game. I had the Chiefs covering three. The Saints had a touchdown you know, at the very end of the fourth quarter trying to come back from a double-digit deficit versus the Chiefs and ended up making it a three-point game. So that was the push. And then what about some whiffs? You know, where was I wrong? I keep it transparent. I had Matt Ryan as a sit because of how bad he has been this season without Julio Jones on the field, and Julio Jones was declared out versus the Bucs. So I had him as a sit, and he actually was really good. Derek Carr as a start, he got hurt in the first quarter, so obviously that ended up being a whiff. Mike Davis as a start versus Green Bay. He had two touchdown opportunities poached away from him, as we talked about earlier in the game recap. So that was really rough, ended up having a bad day. Clyde versus the Saints. Akers versus the Jets, and then two betting lines that we missed. I had the under on 53 points total for Chargers Raiders, and it took overtime and 68 minutes for me to be wrong, but nevertheless, I was. And a lot of people are going to be like, Brandon, you got lucky anyways. Marcus Mariota came in. Derek Carr got hurt. Well, that's funny because Marcus Mariota actually led that offense just as good as Derek Carr has this entire season, and I'm pretty sure once Marcus Mariota came in the game, they had one punt. That offense had one punt the entire time. So don't don't uh, think that it was just like some something that was lucky. But uh, obviously we got it wrong anyways because it went into overtime and put some more points on the board. And then the other one I got wrong this week was Seattle. I had them covering 5.5 versus Washington. They were up 20-3. to three. And then Washington backdoor covered, which basically means that they had a bunch of meaningless points at the end during garbage time. And that's why we ended up missing that, because it ended up as 2015, so we missed it by half a point. And with that said, guys, that wraps up the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Remember, uh, drop a rating, drop a review, tell some friends about the podcast. Helps me out, and I will continue to grind for you guys. I will be talking to you guys on Thursday. Good luck. Have a good one. Peace.